0: Welcome to the Word, the conservators podcast. Today we're talking about couriering. I'm Jenna Thyerson,
1: an objects conservator based in South Yorkshire. I'm Chloe Rumsey, an objects conservator based in Greater Manchester. And I'm Christina Rozek, an objects conservator based in Cambridgeshire.
0: So before we get started today, I just wanted to say that we're going to ICON19. We would love to see you there. We're thinking of doing some sort of little social meet in the pub kind of thing. More details to follow, but yeah, keep an eye on social media. If you're going, yeah. if you're going to Belfast in June, then, you know, keep an eye on it and we'll let you know when we arrange something.
1: I'm excited and terrified in equal measure.
0: Yes. Well, that's normal. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so just uh, keep an eye on social media and yeah, uh, come chill with us because I think that would be really nice to meet some it's of you. so
1: fun. Yeah. Right, Uh, right, right, Let's get on with the actual episode, I suppose. Let's do this. So today we're talking about couriering, um, which is probably not a word, but courier trips is the theme of today. Partly because I just went on my first one and did a bit of recording that we'll talk about later. And that got us thinking, basically, of all the things involving courier trips or all the things that you have to deal with in courier trips. And when preparing for couriers to come to you... I feel like we should possibly introduce the like possibly
0: not very museum-y uh, listeners to what couriering means because it doesn't mean DPD. Mm, yeah or yodel. Uh, <laughs> what does it mean, Chloe?
1: Do I need to get a proper di- definition? Because I haven't got one. No, I was thinking you could just loosely tell people. About what uh, okay. So yeah, if you don't know, it's basically um, when you send an object, one of your accessioned objects on loan to um, a different museum, be that in the same country or overseas, and then you go along with it to make sure that it's installed correctly or that it's shipped correctly, depending on what kind of courier trip you're doing and there's loads of different variations and there's loads of different ways it can be funded so we're going to talk a bit about those sorts of things today so it's basically escorting an object yeah it's basically escorting an object yeah but you're not like putting it in your handbag necessarily yeah <laughs> <laughs> and
2: also although sometimes some um, people do do hand carries actually. yeah I yes, want to yes, talk about done. those you have
1: excellent because I wanted to ask about those and because like, I have very little understanding of how they work essentially a, a posh hand bag just
2: to be clear courier trips also involve escorting the object back home again at the end of the exhibition and that's usually the easier part because you don't have all of the stress of trying to get it safely installed you've just got to get it packed up again
1: yes absolutely though I have to add in that we will hear about my uh, my little trip later on when it comes back we may or may not have left the EU with no deal at all. <laughs> so <laughs> that my, my registrar has been doing all of the research and all of the contingency building for that situation. I mean, it did go to the House of European History, so I feel like Aww. if they that's need kind to poetic. hold, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> if they need to hold it for us because we can't get there and they can't get here, then uh, I think that they are the people that will understand. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's that's one of the. Situations I can see being a bit
0: complicated. I uh, yeah, Yeah. I can see that being a tricky one. Yeah. Oh. (laughs) Right. So it sounds like you guys both have experience of this. I've certainly been on the receiving end of couriers, but like yeah, I've never gone out with an object ever. But I suppose bearing in mind that previously I've had mostly project-based employment Mm -hmm. so it hasn't really been a thing that's been required of me because normally there's been someone you know a permanent employee that you can entrust with this yeah and where I work now we don't do couriering essentially someone does deliver the object but they don't hang around for install normally and that sort of thing or people come and pick up their own object Mm -hmm. or yeah there are a variety of possibilities of how loans are exchanged but none of them are really couriering as we're talking about today So I have no experience of actually going with objects. I have not escorted objects.
1: Well, that's, we're, we're talking also about how we can deal with couriers when they are incoming. Mm. Um, so we'll, we'll go through that later. How about you, Christina? You've mentioned your exciting hand carry thing, which I imagine you in dark sunglasses and a suit. <laughs> uh,
2: no, I've, I've done a few courier trips. I've only done one overseas trip, which was to the US. So Ooh. that was quite lengthy just because of the sort of time to fly to the west coast and recover get over jet lag all of that kind of stuff and i've done a few uk ones and in fact most recently i've been doing them in september and december last year so it's kind of fresh in my mind as well good one of the things i've written down is actually talking about who gets to go because in the museums i've worked in quite often it's not a conservator who goes on the courier trips Mm -hmm. and it's not uncommon for a curator to go instead and sometimes for a technician to go and that's partly because I've worked in quite large museums or at least in museums that have quite a high volume of outward loans Mm -hmm. and there simply aren't enough conservators and there certainly isn't enough conservator time for a conservator to be able to do all of these trips Mm -hmm. and quite often the curators want to go anyway especially if they're going somewhere really nice (laughs) like Italy in the spring or (laughs) not uncommon for the curators to pull rank and insist that they've got some really important research (laughs) business that needs to be done over there and they get those kind of really plum trips. I've done a surprising amount of trips to small local authority museums in the West Midlands and that kind of thing.
1: So (laughs) that's... uh, (laughs) I see.
2: I I obviously don't don't rank... (laughs) Don't quite have as much prestige as the curators do. (laughs) I, I wondered if you had any thoughts about that, whether you feel it's something that is better done by a conservator or actually, you know, if the conservators have enough input into the packing and the documentation and that kind of thing, then actually it doesn't matter if the objects are escorted and installed and condition checked by someone else. I think it depends... Okay, so I think
0: the training is key. So I think it's all about how much training and insight you can give that person who does go. Because I completely understand that, you know, we can't always be a conservator. There might not even be a conservator, but Mm -hmm. hopefully you would hope that one's done the condition checks and that sort of stuff. But ultimately, that's not the reality we always live in. So, yeah, no, I think Mm. anyone can go, but with appropriate training. Training of this is something I'm really interested in. And I would love to hear from people who do do the training, who deliver training for this sort of thing. But yeah, I think anyone can go. It's just about kind of what you. like It's more about the thinking about the right things. I think.
1: Yeah, and I think I my thoughts on it are: if you've got a conservator there, as in in your museum, that the, to prepare the object and the condition report and everything, and really key if there's a if there's a conservator at the institution, the loaning institution, then all of the kind mm. of worst case scenario thinking and like object care that might need to, be done can be done by that conservator and I've certainly worked for installs at various places that have you know I've been told by the exhibitions manager that oh well this this institution this lending institution was uh, really picky about light levels and they came in and they were really worried about you know what we were going to do and everything and then felt you know quite nervous like oh this person's going to come in and they're going to be really like picky about everything we're doing and then the person who's turned up has been either curator or a collections assistant and their their attitude is basically, well, I'm not conservative, you do what you like, kind of thing. (laughs) Um, So I think that that there is a bit of, like, you know, everyone's working together to make sure that the object's safe, but you know, if, if you do have a conservator at the institution, then a lot of the bases are covered. But then I would say that if you're if you're going with your object, if you're going to install your object, it's still your responsibility to say, like, I'm worried about this or whatever. Because if a conservator's going, they have the insight into the object, the knowledge of the object, if they've worked on it, or if they've inspected it closely, to know the warning signs that might not necessarily be obvious to someone, who, you know, if you're a single conservator, on or in an exhibition that's installing hundreds of objects, you're not going to have the time to really look at something closely and go, well, that bit looks worried, or um, that, that bit looks particularly fragile, or this might do whatever, this might behave in whatever unexpected way. So probably a mix, but you know.
2: Yeah, I mean, obviously, some exhibitions will be a lot more complex than others. And um, we'll hear about this, in fact, in your report from Brussels, Chloe, that, yeah. you know, where mounts are involved, then that adds another layer of complexity, because it may well be a mount that you've not actually tried on the object until you actually get there and actually try installing the object. And that's quite different from having something quite straightforward, say a sculpture that can just be plonked onto a shelf in the case and left.
1: Yeah, so I can, I think I can, I'm trying not to be sort of negative hard line about it, but my basic opinion is that it should be a conservator, even if there is another conservator there, because then, you know, they can have the discussion and make sure the object's safe. As long as that's possible, but of course, we're all responsible for. Um, like we're all responsible for making sure that our objects can be loaned and can be seen by different audiences around the world, and we've just got to make that possible. I mean, I, I quite like that we kind of have different <laughs> opinions about this because that's good. That's the whole point, isn't it? Um, yeah,
0: yeah. No, that's really good so one of the limiting factors for us is for example right so we don't have a registrar for example Mm -hmm. like the collections officer has to deal with literally everything from signing loan agreements to agreeing the conditions and like usually also taking the object that person may or may not hang around for installation but they are at least responsible for making sure the correct paperwork is signed and the object is left in the building with the right people so like their level of involvement kind of depends but they tend to go also because we tend not to do very like exotic loans so usually it's a question of getting in a car with the object Mm -hmm. and delivering it yeah so I don't have a car and I'm not medically allowed to drive so those are limiting factors like I can't take an object Mm. out there and because none of the places that we tend to deal with because we're a local authority tends not to be like oh we'll pay for Constantine to come and pick it up in a fancy crate it's like whatever we can manage (laughs) in-house and usually deliver ourselves so that to me just says that there are different levels and all those practicalities play a part and but obviously I think it also depends on things like how worried the institutions themselves are because some institutions worry a lot more than others do uh, I think there are different levels of anxiety involved in loans, mm. depending on the institution and depending on the kind of mixture of people you have. So uh, sometimes registrars can help mitigate that by like being really good at checking stuff and like mm-hmm. prepping people. Sometimes they can add to the anxiety <laughs> <laughs> um, and like, yeah, I, I think there's just a, a good mix of stuff out there. But sometimes practicalities are the limiting factor. I would love to go and see loan, loans installed, but it's just not doable because I'd have to also deliver it, which isn't a yeah. thing.
1: Well, I think that's that's one of the things that I suppose is it depends on the person loaning or or receiving the object, depending on the opinion or the discretion of the um, of the museum that has had the request.
0: Yeah, I mean, I can see how you would ask. Like, if it's a big institution, you would probably go, Yeah, sure, we can do that, but you pay for Constantine to pick it up in a yeah. crate, or maybe even having something constructed, and then also for us to send our conservator or our registrar, well, yeah, or whatever, that's what we do, um, yeah. to to also come in mm-hmm. and. You you know, courier it essentially. Yeah. I, I can see that working for bigger institutions. You, you can... We you presumably have a budget for that. That's where... We don't have budgets for anything.
3: Well,
1: that's it. Yeah, and if it's if it's the th- that exhibition that is requiring the object or would like the object, we'll have funding or a budget of some sort and they can build that in. I don't know... I don't... I can't think of a situation where somebody would ask us for an object and we would say, sure, we'll get it to you out of our own pocket kind of thing. Like I, I don't... With some museums now saying, yes, you can have this object but you need to both pay for me to go, pay for the packing, pay for the transit and pay for the conservation that's required to get it to the state that can be displayed. Like, I feel like that's a fairly new thing, but it is something that is more and more prevalent.
2: I've, I suppose, mostly worked in medium-sized museums and certainly the norm there would be for the borrower to pay for these costs. I've certainly been involved in exhibitions where the lender has absorbed the cost of the conservation and the packing and that kind of stuff and we've just been expected to fit that into our everyday work and we haven't recouped that (laughs) from the museum that's actually borrowing the objects but certainly things like shipping I would be expecting the borrowers to pay for that because that's potentially quite a large cost by the time you're talking about specialised crates being made potentially storage overnight somewhere flights, that kind of thing I mean I've just finished a 15 month contract and my actual job title varied actually but at one point it was Exhibitions (laughs) and Loans conservator. So I was employed solely to work on internal exhibitions and mostly external loans. So the vast majority of my job was preparing objects for loan, Mm. creating the loan condition reports for them and packing them up so they could be uh, ready to be shipped and occasionally travelling with them as well. And that job was supposedly funded by the borrowers paying for my time in order to do that work to get the objects up to scratch so that they could go. And that was supposed to cover the cost of my salary. Yeah. and meant that the museum I worked for also got a bit of conservation done mm-hmm. for its objects at mm-hmm. no or a very little cost to them. So I think that's kind of increasingly a model that's being used. I think museums are being a bit more hard-nosed about it now because they recognise that sometimes, you know, it's, it might be 40 hours of conservator time mm. to get an object into a state where it can travel safely. Yeah. And increasingly, it seems to me that museum directors and trustees and the people who actually make the decisions about whether or not a loan can go ahead they're increasingly unwilling to say no yeah and so quite often you get put in a position where you're basically told yeah i know you don't think this object is safe to go on loan but it's happening deal with it (laughs) (laughs) basically make it you know yeah yeah you told us it's too fragile but tough (laughs) Send it, get get it into a state where it can
1: be shipped. Um, Yeah, I've just remembered the the when I wondered this started. Obviously, when you've got that kind of pressure that you're describing, Christina, that probably has something to do with like Mm. audience figure goals for the year and oh, totally, um, yeah, and engagement figures for the year and stuff like that. But is it? Does anyone else know what I'm talking about? I have to research this because this uh, this I'm remembering now from like five years ago (laughs) a document called effective collections oh I don't remember that was that was that something that uh, I seem to remember this a document of a similar name being brought out to describe the ways that we can essentially justify as museums justify the collections that we hold by getting as much of it out through loans and through short-term exhibitions as possible
2: I mean there there is certainly I think because the museum I was most recently working for had large ethnographic collections in particular yeah there's often also political pressure on you to lend objects particularly when they're going to museums where they'll be more accessible by the source communities and things like that or where it's a particularly contentious or significant Mm -hmm. object and it's felt that actually if you're going to be keeping this in your museum there's also an onus on you to be making it more accessible to people by being willing to lend it out. Um, certainly, yeah. In- one of my previous museums in particular, we had a few real kind of star objects that were associated with um, some very famous people and their work. And we were always <laughs> being asked to lend them out, particularly around anniversaries, centenaries, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And it meant that some of these were, that there were objects that were just travelling continuously, actually, that were at one point, certainly when I worked there, were, were out of our museum on loan more often than they were actually in the museum being rested. And I think that's really tough when you've got the significant object for a particular area. It's quite hard to say no to that and to refuse to send it out. But it obviously does take quite a lot of wear and tear on the object. And it's time consuming and expensive.
1: Yeah, we've got an object that is, I mean, if I say the suffragette banner from Manchester, mm-hmm. many people will probably know I'm talking about and immediately know where I work, which is fine. And that has been off display for... Possibly three weeks. I'm just trying to remember. Yeah, three weeks um, on time of recording. And we have already had like at least five to 10 requests that we know of of, oh, can we come and see it? When's it going to be on display again? And this is an object that is free hanging. And, you know, that's how it's displayed. That's how it was used. That's how it's displayed in Easter Rest. And we anticipate that it will be going on loan. And that's, of course, fine. But, you one of the reasons it's marvellous is because it's um its condition is so great its colour is so great still and the more and more it's carted in and out and you know shipped off and shipped back again it's Mm. you know part of the the joy of the object part of the value of the object is just going to be lost so that's i think i mean i'm sure if we're being sensible about it and talk to our registrars we go all right well we have a policy of only loaning this extremely sought after object like once every three years or something like that i'm sure that, that that's a sensible way of mitigating against it but as conservatives we're inclined to be really protective of this stuff because that's our job i feel like my stance is that i would rather things
0: went out on loan because then more people see it like yeah. it's that's totally where it's at for me but i'm mm-hmm. a very pro-use person but you write that object fatigue essentially from like from <laughs> yeah. just constantly being on being yeah, on loan must, be, must be a thing <laughs>
2: Interestingly, last week it was in the news that there's going to be an exhibition of stuff from Tutankhamun's tomb. Oh, I saw that in yeah. London. Wow! And A- again, it was my question. they're describing again? that. Well, my my mom went to see it when it came here in like the I don't know when it was seventies, eighties, something like that. But um, they're describing it as the last time. Yeah that some of these things will travel out of egypt
0: Uh and i I, you know
2: some of this might well just be showmanship and Uh trying to drum up (laughs) an air of um, exclusivity around the exhibition but also i think you know maybe that is actually increasingly the case that museums are starting to say well hang on you know it's easier to get to other places to travel obviously that's not available to everybody but you know it is possible now to get on a plane, go to mm. the Cairo Museum and see some of the stuff there um, if you have the money. It's not it's not requiring a, a big sea voyage and whatever <laughs> as it might have done 70 years ago. Also, th- these things are more accessible now uh, through digitisation and so on. And I think maybe it is harder to make a case for some of these incredibly fragile, rare, precious things to just travel all over the place just like that.
1: When I travelled I saw loads of posters basically about reducing carbon footprint and being greener and stuff and that's all very well but if you're driving a truck across Europe Mm. that you know from Manchester (laughs) (laughs) that can only be so green Yeah, Um, yeah and maybe maybe actually I mean this 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 transit did also include loads of other stuff from the UK going to the same exhibition so maybe actually the costs that the the reduction the goals for reduction of costs well whilst um, arranging career exhibition careering maybe that's actually helping because it means that institutions in the UK are actually trying to align with transit companies with handling companies to make things cheaper if something somebody's already in the area then it's not like one company driving for 400 miles to Deliver a ball,
0: <laughs> something. Are you, are you suggesting that it's a bit like when you get asked a home delivery and you could choose a green slot, which is when it's already oh, in your neighbourhood. Hey. This is
1: kind of what we. Is this kind of what we're doing for couriering <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, let's say that. That's what we're saying. That's our Constantine is already in your area. Would you like, like to? We've that. <laughs> we need ten percent of all the trips. Thanks. <laughs> I love how much how
0: to I podcast. love I love how much this re- reveals about me. Like I'm, I shop at <laughs> Asda and I think a lot about the green truck symbol.
2: <laughs> I, I was going to say, should we listen to your report from your courier trip now? Because that certainly kind of raised a lot of things. I'd like to
1: talk. Yeah, about Yeah, let's or- do that. Yeah. Mm right yes so this is from my trip to brussels to the house of european history it was my first ever courier trip i was really nervous to begin with but my registrar she gave me some proper training for for doing a courier trip she gave me a proper pack with loads of maps and an itinerary which was extremely valuable and i annotated it with all you know additional like my flight number and stuff like that and all of the contact numbers that i needed all of the addresses that i needed so all of those things i had that with me i was feeling super glamorous and uh, with my pack in its green folder I thought it was going to be the best time ever but I was really really nervous so I thought I'd record some of the thoughts I had in almost real time though I didn't I didn't think it was professional to be recording like and we're opening the case right now can you hear the drill (laughs) good point (laughs) right so yes here is um my slightly silly courier trip to Brussels Enjoy. Right, so much for my glamorous courier trip away. I left 45 minutes ago and I'm on the Manchester Ring Road, um, sitting in traffic and chewing on a bit of bread that I packed with me. Um, So, oh, we're moving a bit. I will be there on time because I planned for this, but Feel super glamorous. So my partner before I left told me that um, people wouldn't be so interested in the travel stuff and the getting the plane things because, you know, other people travel. I don't travel very much, but other people do. So, you know, this is more every day for everyone. But I just parked my car in the pre-booked car park, um, number plate recognition, and I'm genuinely astonished that nothing went wrong. I feel like the last time I did this, 10 years ago, there there wasn't any of this stuff in place, or at least if there was, it was always going wrong. So I'm pleasantly surprised. Um, I'm about to get out of the car, I'm about to gather my things, and uh, I think there's a 12 minute walk to the airport. I've got three hours, uh, two and a half hours, until my gate opens. Um, So I've got plenty of time to be nervous about flying now, which is the next thing on the list of things to be worried about. Right, so I've got my bag, I've got my loan pack, I've got my peanut M&Ms, my duty-free Mac stage makeup (laughs) uh, and my gate is number 27, so off I go. So I'm here, I'm in Brussels, Um, I've just got on the train to Brussels Central um, and I absolutely love European public transport. I mean I'm sure it's different everywhere but this train is so flash, you can't hear it can you? It's super quiet, Uh, you wouldn't get this in Northern Rail, absolutely not. So I'm making my way to my hotel and I'm going to put my stuff down. and then I'll make my way to the museum to receive the object. So I've just got out of the tube station, or similar. Um, It's really sunny and warm. I'm in central Brussels. I can see, as soon as I stepped out, I can see a sign to the museum I'm heading to. Behind me, I think, is my hotel. I'm just gonna find it. Um, Oh, I see a beautiful spire, and some domed buildings, and some modern sympathetic domed buildings, bright colours. Why don't I travel? This is amazing. So I'm just getting to the museum now, the House of European History. Um, got a bit lost because I saw a queue and thought oh is that a museum and there was no signage but it wasn't and I carried on walking and it's right ahead of me in a beautiful park um with kids playing and birds singing and sun shining and it's all rather lovely really. I'm about to go in um I, my contacts have names that I'm not entirely sure of the pronunciation of so I'm just going to ask for I'm gonna have a go and then ask for the conservator and the collections manager. Um, so here we go. So I'm waiting for my contact to come and get me. Um, Is someone looking around? Don't know, maybe, maybe that's them, but I'm looking at the shop at the moment. Everything's got an EU flag on it and I feel like I might cry. (laughs) Honestly, this is a very emotional experience. The date is the 18th of February, so we're still no clearer what's going to happen in March than we were two years ago. Not to get too political, but you know, nevertheless so i'm waiting for momart to turn up and they're due between three and five and it's seven minutes past three now so my contact's going to call me um, which means i get to walk around the museum and see the exhibits Um, and they they've explained to me that they have to explain everything in so many languages that actually each visitor gets um, a rather posh little tablet and some headphones. Um, Mine's still loading at the moment so I'm going to press play and see what happens but um, so far so rather beautiful. Um, I've just seen the front entrance of the Restless Youth exhibition which is the object which is where the object is going to be um, exhibited that I'm careering Um, and so far it looks really really nice. I'm going to have a little wander around it's all really nice actually it's a really modern museum the display cases are all slanted and which i imagine is a nightmare to open unless they're properly designed um right so i've just turned the corner and i already have thoughts um Top tips for someone, as I have never choreoed before, of course, um, if you are worried about how your object's going to be displayed. um, I just turned the corner and saw some book mounts. Um, They are so beautifully done. They seem to be metal and lined with high-density foam, as you would expect, and they're just rather beautiful. So, I mean, the the high level of this has already put my mind at rest. I don't think I'm going to have any problems with how, how my object's going to be displayed. So there's actually no labels at all. I'm really interested. All of the content is on the tablet. I can select on little um, silhouettes of each object shape to find out more about them. Um, And I can do this in any of the 24 European languages, which is really, really cool. Right, so I'm I'm taking ages because I'm such a fan. I'm such a huge fan of this as a way of interpreting museums. the lack of labels means that you actually get so much more information and all of the discussions are just that bit more nuanced. Um, each thing gives a historic background, asks questions, um, describes the nuance of the situation. It's really, really interesting. Um, obviously, it costs loads to have loads of tablets and update the software all the time and do the recordings in each language but it's i'm so impressed it's really enjoyable oh how nice is this quote memory is selective memorizing something means to let something else fade into oblivion historical objects become carriers of personal memories without them the connections between people and places would be lost So um, I think I'm going to have to try and dial back or edit out quite a lot of these (laughs) little thoughts that I'm having because otherwise it's going to turn into a sort of shit travel blog um, which is not the idea. It's meant to be about couriering but I have time to kill um, and um, plenty of thoughts. (laughs) So we'll see what this ends up as. So the object's off the truck and in the museum Um, we were rushed out of the museum because it was closing um, or at least everyone was going home Um, so the object is stored nice and secure in their storage area Um, I oversaw as per agreement, oversaw it coming off of the truck and um, they had a number of other crates of things so actually I got to see some of the objects or some of the crates of the objects that were going into, that are going into the same exhibition. Um, some really, really interesting stuff um, and it's been so nice to talk to everyone. I think that's something I didn't consider that of course I'm going to courier and I'm going to look after an object but actually I'm also chatting with people and making new friends and new connections with people, doing similar kind of work over overseas. So um, I've really enjoyed that today. That's been really, really great. Um, So I'm going for a walk now around Brussels. Um, It's six o'clock in the evening. I've been strongly recommended a Japanese restaurant just over the road from um, the museum. So I'm gonna go there tonight. Opens in 40 minutes. So I'm gonna go for a bit of a walk so I've just realized that I forgot to pick up my per diem basic basic thing to forget I knew there would be something at least I was nice and sensible and professional to the the museum people but no no there has to be something my registrar has said it is fine and I can just pick up tomorrow because I've got euro with me but damn it Good morning! So I've arrived at the museum for the install. Um, we've just opened the crate and done all of the paperwork. Um, I thought I'd find the paperwork more confusing, but it's totally fine. Condition of the object is absolutely fine. Uh, nothing happened. I thought there'd be some twisting in the in the structure of the sign, but there hasn't been, which is great. Um, so yeah, now my conservation contact has gone off to see um, where The tech team is to to install the object. We're looking at mounts and things that have been already made for it, which is great. So, yeah, I'm just waiting around for a bit. I I think uh, this is one of the things that my registrar warned me of. I'm totally fine. that I will be standing around, but that's okay. Something that's really struck me yesterday and today is that wherever you go, I feel like conservation and museum installs, tech teams, we're all the same. We've all got padded tables out that fold and you know tape and gloves and all sorts so i'm feeling very at home so more waiting um my conservation contact um vasilius kindly waited with the object with me um so that the um really lovely curators could give me a little tour of the (laughs) brexit case and the um 21st century area um, which is really really interesting because it's like my museum Um, so we're we're, we're talking about future contacts and stuff so it's great but yes more waiting Um, I think I can see one of the techs scurrying around getting all the bits and pieces he needs so I think we're on our way up to install the object now we're nearly there so it's in place yay I'm currently sitting on a ladder um, waiting for the final securing strap to be put in place for the flex of the electrical sign. So the original process, the original design of the the mount was good, Um, two L brackets at the bottom of a large square sign, Um, but there was no provision to prevent it from leaning forwards or falling or being pushed upwards, which it could do because it's on open display. Um, and it took a tiny bit of time to discuss with the mount maker and fabricator um, to add an extra couple of elements to prevent it from falling forwards so thankfully the the other conservator was in support with me um, and and he was able to to talk to the um, fabricator as well so it was it was a bit easier to to make that statement but I think I found that as long as I was kind of really sure, then they knew they knew what they needed to do, so that's, you know, they, I have, they had to do what I said anyway, so I, I didn't feel like, I didn't feel uncomfortable, um, which was good. So yeah, those things have been made now, those hooks have been made now and put in place. Um, Plastazote has now been added to them, which is um, another element that I requested. Um, and we've had the curatorial discussion about the height and the light levels and um, whether someone's going to biff themselves on the head with it, which they're not which is all to the good I've requested a please do not touch sign um, as well it's, it's, it's the way that it is is sort of room sets and things um, so there is a little bit, I'm slightly concerned about um, the confusion between what you can touch and what you can't touch um, so I have requested that there be a little sign. I think we'll just see how it goes. It's a fairly robust object, um, modern material as well. So invigilated as well, the galleries. So I'm not, I'm not worried about it. And we've got full photographs and everything. So I think I'll just request maybe quarterly checks or more in fact. Um, but I'll have a think about that when, I'm, when I have a chance this afternoon. So we're done. That's the official bit done. Now I've got a holiday until my flight back tomorrow, which is nice. I'm going to try and eat all the food. Um, they're really nice. Uh, I think everyone's on the same page with loans, it seems. Couriering, I should say. That everyone just wants people to have a good time and take care of their objects. So, really nice. I felt so welcome. Very helped. Very part of a worldwide community, really lovely, and I just walked past a girl eating a fresh waffle, so um, I need to get on with that. So I was able to pick up my per DM this morning as well, um, which is really good. And the, the, the collections manager was very apologetic for not, for not doing it yesterday, as though it was her fault for not remembering and not just my fault for not remembering. So I think we both felt guilty, which is nice. <laughs> so yeah, that was all fine. And I signed for it and I read the thing and then I got one copy and they got the other copy. So that means that they can, uh, the transport com- agency can claim back per diem from the museum along with all the other costs because that's how we've arranged it through through that and we went with MoMA, and it seems to have gone really well everyone's been very nice very professional and it's all gone very smoothly so yeah first experience of a career trip i'm not home yet but first experience of a career trip has been overwhelmingly positive yes so i'm gonna go and drink beer and eat chips I'd like to give a shout out to Vasilis. Um he helped me a lot during the install um and we checked over the condition of the object together um as my conservation contact. Um he's a fan of the show. So yay. I was very pleased to pleased to discover that um and it made the world feel very small and um the podcast seem very famous which is always an unusual thing Um, even though I know we have fans and I know we have listeners it's always weird to actually encounter them Um, but we we shared a number of conservation sideways glances at each other when we neither of us were happy with the security of the object on install and it's really great to work alongside another conservator because uh, we always think along the same lines and on the same page so hi Vasilis it was lovely to work with you so I'm in Brussels still for my last day. My plane is at um, nine, so I'm gonna make my way to the airport at six cause I'm a crazy person. So I've got the whole of today, it's now 10 o'clock. Um, and I said to myself, you know what? I'm gonna have a day off museums. I was working in a museum this week. I always go to museums. I'll go shopping. Or something I'll go to the like fashion district or whatever uh, and then I looked at the map and then I thought oh there's a beer museum oh there's a museum of democracy for a change oh there's a musical instruments museum so basically um I I'm going to all of the museums and um I can't help it so the trip is nearly over, I'm sitting at Brussels Airport lounge now or similar to surrounded by capitalism and food. Um, I got here three hours early because I thought it would take long to get here <laughs> and I wanted to be sure to get my flight and I definitely will because uh, I've been here now for over an hour and I have two hours left to go. So i just got off the plane in Manchester Airport and I'm instantly confused. Uh, there's no signs anywhere. I'm just following the guys in front who look like they know where they're going. And they've just turned a corner so I can't see them other. Oh, there. Nothing. No clue. It's completely empty. I can't see anyone who works here. I, mean, I know it's half nine but I don't know where I'm going. How come Brussels Airport managed to be so clear in all the different languages? Hopefully I'll find the car. There we go. It was a long old couple of days. Aww. Oh, no, that sounds, sounds well-blown from
0: my point of view. Oh,
1: I loved that. Was that yeah. nice? What did you think, Christina? Uh, it
2: totally covered all the issues. I, I've i written down a few things. Mm. Uh, one, I've written duty-free makeup. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, yeah, I was really impressed that you managed to get some stage makeup while you were there. I wanted to know whether you found your car. I'm assuming you did.
1: <laughs> I did. Yeah, I did not uh, walk home. <laughs> you you kind of left us hanging at the end. <laughs> I did. It's just. I mean, I think Manchester Airport's just a bit sparse on the old signage. Uh, which museums did you go to in brussels i only went to two actually because i found that there was a fashion and lace museum um so i kind of sacked off all of the other possibilities (laughs) like yes i'm going to that um i went to the museum of democracy (laughs) um which was really really good i didn't record any thoughts in it because i thought how many people actually want to hear my (laughs) vacuous thoughts about things Uh, and the fashion and lace museum oh my god gorgeous absolutely beautiful did you get a waffle oh yeah oh yeah just with nutella on though and i did like i did think oh this needs a bit of cream it's a bit cloying but in a good way
2: one thing we could talk about that kind of comes out of your piece is what happens when things don't go to plan on courier trips and really it's a to the courier to sort it out basically
1: yeah yeah so I've I've got written down as well discussions on install which is a very kind of even-handed way of saying like how to negotiate changes I've also got written down disagreements and finding everything is wrong which wasn't where I was at with it um I wasn't I didn't you know turn up and find that the exhibition hadn't been built yet and the, you know <laughs> <laughs> that everything they said was going to happen wasn't that that wasn't the case at all yeah so it was it was fine and even the language barrier was was okay i mean to be honest it was partly because most people spoke english yes. i think it was the reason we had to have a bit more discussion maybe was the museum doesn't have a tech team on staff so they they contract in their exhi- exhibition technicians mm. which is you know perfectly fine and brilliant but I wondered whether you know some of the relationship building that you get when you have a team on staff supports disagreements or supports you know um they just know to to trust people's opinions or they, they just know to go all right well this person always asks for this kind of thing so I'll just do it it was really it went really easily though after saying he did insist on trying his idea first and you know as long as I was happy with the with the security of the object on the very short term and um, though I was kind of you know it was I felt that it was perching. So I was like, I'm not leaving this ladder. (laughs) I've got my hand on this. And so I suppose, you know, in a way I could have said... No, you're gonna do this instead. But you know, you, who who needs that? As long as it's not going to, as long as it's not in danger, then. And working with the with the um, conservator Vasilius is, was really really good because it was you know it was another voice saying um, mm. this is not how we want to do things or this is not uh, this is not up to conservation scratch. So, I
0: mean, that's that's really good because so my experience with this sort of thing has been at exhibition installations where I've been hired in as the exhibition conservator because the venue doesn't have one. Uh, which is really exciting work and I love doing that stuff. And that means that I'll then be there and I will be with the whoever's couriering the object and kind of negotiating how things are going in the display case and that sort of thing. And that's when it's really fun to have another mm. conservator come because you do a lot of problem solving yeah. together, which is really fun. Like if it's a really fragile object, oh, how can we give that more stability? Yeah. And then you get the technician in and they're like, oh my God, let's solve this problem. Yeah, yes. And it's really, really fun. Um, that's like actually like the best bit about big exhibition installations when there's all these amazing objects coming in and there are all these people who are there to care for them and then we as the team on site get to problem solve. Mm -hmm. Um, But then we are all contracted in but we just want everyone to have a good experience because we are contracted in. We we can about you know like <laughs> we want people to be able to hire us again so both the technicians and the hired conservatives they just go all in and really want people to have a good experience of what's happening
1: yeah absolutely and i would say i would say that that my experience was overwhelmingly positive mm. and even when when the, the the technician was saying no it'll be fine honestly trust me it'll be fine and i just didn't agree you know it was still a case of you know he says of course i'll do that i, I made a request of can we have something to hold the top of it and he you know the response was well of course we'll try this first but of course I'll go and do that and then it was a, it was a matter of you know 10 minutes I've come back with this solution and it works perfectly well I don't know what I would do in a situation if you were. I mean, I imagine this has happened, and many people may have the, have had this experience. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Ooh, where you uh, is this something I'm free, I'm coming to that you're you're standing in an exhibition and somebody yeah. is just saying, <laughs> "Well, no, you've got to have it like this," and you're like, "No, I'm not." You know, what at what point do you just say, "Well, I'm getting on the plane again with my object"? Bye. At what point do you do that? So, Christina, <laughs> what's your experience with this? <laughs> I suppose, I mean, I was interested that you
2: said in your report that you felt everybody was working together towards a common end. And yes, we are. But then the minute things start going wrong or there are disputes, then actually that's when everybody starts remembering that they're in fact there to represent their particular institution and that their interests are not 100% aligned with your interests necessarily. And I can think of a couple of instances actually where... I've slightly been at the sharp end there. Oh, um, no. one of I think it was my first solo courier trip. So I was maybe five years after graduating, didn't have huge amounts of experience at that point, and I was allowed to go and do a UK trip. So it was a load of large ceramics. Um, I'm being deliberately vague here, but maybe 12 of them, I guess. Right. Quite large, each. each one about 40, 50 centimetres. Yeah, I'm. this is important later on. <laughs> okay. And they were being lent to a local authority museum, small to medium-sized, somewhere in the UK. Not a lot of collection staff, definitely no conservator. Right. And it was the kind of place that doesn't have a lot of money, so the cases are not really that great, not very secure, uh, not very stable, So fine, off I trotted with my 12 boxes of ceramics and I was picked up by a van. The museum had just, the museum curator had just hired a van and driven down to where I was, picked up me and the objects, we'd got them in the back. We drove up to the museum and the plan was for me to see them safely installed and then to come back on the train. And we got there and the cases were awful really insecure really unstable the exhibition was on the first floor and so it was a very very large gallery in something i think it was an old town hall or something like that a very large gallery with wooden floors and because it was on the first floor they were suspended floors (laughs) yeah (laughs) and so if you walked on certain parts of the floor then the cases wobbled oh my god and these pots were just kind of teetering and there was a point where I just thought what do I do I'm going home on the train I can't take 12 tubs of enormous ceramics home with me on the train and anyway even if I did what would I do with them Take them to my house you know I mean this is a nightmare what can I do and in the end we did what we could with wedging I, I wedged lots of tiny bits of plasters out underneath the bits of the foot that weren't stable to try and stabilize these things as much as possible i talked to the curator who said oh yes we often have school groups yes they often run up and down and on." Oh, so we okay. got as many members of staff as we could who were in the building that day and we all jumped up and down yeah, on the floors to sim- the try and simulate like a hundred school children running around <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and we were we were trying to be, yeah, like a, a massive group of unruly school children just to see what would happen. And in the end, I stayed until about eight o'clock until I was reasonably confident that these things just weren't going to fall over. But it was really nerve wracking. And if I hadn't been confident, there wasn't a plan for what would happen if I hadn't been able to sort it out. To our
1: satisfaction and that maybe mm. feel that maybe I need to be a bit more cautious about that kind of thing yeah I think that I, I think of a couple of things in that situation so when I was when I had my training from the registrar and I think I'm Really lucky to have a registrar to talk up to me about this. She basically said, if you turn up and everything's wrong, or if anything at all goes wrong, just call me, and you know we'll discuss it, and it's absolutely fine. Because she's had experiences before of in in other when she's worked for other institutions of people going on loan trips and then something going really wrong, and then them just freaking out. Essentially, the other thing I wanted to say was I think that has, I think there is something really um, important to be said for knowing. The the institution you're lending to in advance and having really thorough preparation beforehand like what cases are available what's the room like not just the you know facilities report of where the radiators are and mm-hmm. windows and all their blinds and stuff but like what's the room like so there's that side of it of making sure that you know exactly what you're into before in for before you before you agree but also finding out I feel like this is this is um, become more and more prevalent we talked about this a bit in the last season with environmental conditions particularly within reason being understanding about what you're requesting because I feel like I personally have a habit of when I'm writing condition reports for loan and I've got to the environmental condition section and I say you know these are my fairly strict guidelines and my for for temperature and rh and lux and that's like these are mine and then in more recent years i've thought hang on a minute what's the point of me saying this if it's actually not going to happen if it's not possible for somebody can to control the rh to 50 to 60 within you know this really really specific like minus one or two within four mm. weeks kind of thing like what's the point of me saying this that's part of the wider negotiation, I suppose. Yeah, exactly. You know, like- yeah, and does it matter? And we're we're at the moment we're, we've got an object incoming that has requested that they that we include Prozorb. Oh right, yeah. Uh, into the into the case, and that's a great solution. So there are ways to get around it, but if you're if it's really important to lend to like a local local authority museum and they just don't have the facilities that you require, then that's part of a bigger discussion. And I feel like it's kind of unfair to kind of send off fairly newbie conservator into this situation and be like, deal with it Yeah.
2: Well, I mean, to be fair, I, 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 as I said, I was probably about four or five years into my career. By then, I, I, I put on my big girl pants yeah. and dealt with it. You know, it it's, there, there does come a point where you do have to deal with these things. I'm thinking about another thing around the same time, funnily enough, which was my one and only overseas yeah. career mm-hmm. trip where i went to the west coast of the states i went to la which was amazing by the way really really rich museum they flew me business class what (laughs) i was so excited playing anyway uh, and and that was generally an amazing trip actually because i was there in november 2008 so i was actually there for the elections oh Oh, wow and although the staff at the museum had been banned from talking about politics (laughs) at work in work time uh there were massive grins um The day after Obama won his first election there and everybody was so happy and being in LA, even in November, it was eighteen degrees um and really sunny and lovely sort of um very happy feeling day. Anyway, that's all by the by (laughs) um I was actually there to pick up our object, but I'd agreed to take an object back for another institution, which was a very small institution and didn't really have many collection staff. So they couldn't come and pick it up themselves. And it was put into a crate with our object and they were shipped together. And there were some slightly stressful moments, like when the airline wouldn't confirm to me that our pallet had actually been loaded onto the plane. And I had to insist that I needed to know that for certain because I couldn't get on the plane without knowing that our thing was definitely there. But anyway, that all went fairly smoothly. We arrived at Heathrow. I hung around the cargo terminal for a while, which is quite interesting as well because you don't normally get to see these kinds of things. And you see all these forklift trucks whizzing around at extremely high speed, like 30 miles an hour, it seemed to me, (laughs) just whizzing around, picking up pallets, putting them down and so on. And you want to say, ah, careful! There's our objects in there. Anyway, uh, I also learned that there's a verb to palletize, which I'd never come across before, which means to put something on a pallet. Anyway, I got there and went through customs with my objects, at which point I found out that one of the objects, not our object, but the other one that I was bringing back on behalf of another institution, had some ivory on it and oh, they hadn't oh, got the right CITES documentation oh, okay, in place. Yeah. So the customs people said, we're going to have to hold these objects until we clear this up. And by this point, it was about 6pm. My museum was shut and I, again, didn't really know what to do. Luckily, there was the uh, shipping company had met me at the airport as well. And the plan was that we had things gone smoothly. We would have got the crate out of the airport. They would have put it on a truck taken it they were planning to take it away to our museum as it happens because of the delay our museum was shut so we couldn't do that but they agreed to take it to a bonded warehouse that they have in London and to keep it overnight and I think by the time it got out of customs it was sort of like 10 p.m or something like that and so I ended up having to get one of these late night coaches back home Um, didn't get home until after midnight and the whole thing was a bit of a nightmare but the shipping company themselves were actually really helpful in these instances and this is nothing they hadn't seen before and so they were able to say what bits of documentation we needed and that kind of thing and they had already got a plan for okay well if our object is released late at night and we can't follow the original plan of taking it to our museum that's fine they'll they've got a warehouse they can take it to it's very secure that's the backup plan so that was an instance where something could have gone quite wrong but luckily didn't go too wrong Mm -hmm. And the other example I can think of where something's gone wrong is where we lent an object to another museum and when our courier, not me, fortunately, came to pick it up, there was a dispute about the condition. Oh, no and whether there was some damage visible that was new damage, or whether it was old damage that just hadn't been noted on the condition report. Obviously, the first people that get notified about this are the conservators, and we had this frantic search through all of the images we could find of this bloody object trying to make out oh what's that is that just an artefact in the photo or is that a little mark that the other conservator the borrowing conservator is saying that they're seeing and you know who's responsible for this and I think that's one of those times when you realise okay yeah we are all here to make this exhibition happen together but actually we're not necessarily on the same side and when it comes to a dispute like this everybody wants to be absolutely certain who's responsible for that to make sure that they don't get the blame for damage that actually was pre-existing for example.
0: I feel like that's something I've certainly come across where you know something's been taken off display and the couring party checking the report might see something in a mm. different light and then you know it could be new or it could not be and sometimes you just have to have that conversation and everyone has to freak out and I'm like <laughs> okay well clearly I am upset on your behalf that you are seeing this mark I am but at the same time can we move on with our lives? Let's put it on the condition report. Let's talk about it later. Let's now pack it up and mm. calm down. Everyone have a cup of tea. But yeah. I'm a very chill person like that. <laughs> I'm like, I'm, you know, unless it's actually fallen apart into two halves in my hands, I am not freaked out. Like, I'm not freaked out by seeing like, oh, is that, is
1: that a we scratch? Have had- oh my God, oh my
0: God. That, that's, that's not my reaction to anything ever, pretty much. So I, I'm quite chill, but... I was going to say,
2: yeah, I mean, we have had a... I've seen instances where one of our objects has fallen off a mount for example. I mean, that's bad. And, yeah. (laughs) I think everyone can agree that that's bad. (laughs) And then, also, then there's that kind of awkward thing about who's allowed to deal with it because it's yeah. not unusual for there to be an agreement that once a case is shut nobody is allowed to open the case under any circumstances without a representative from the institutions whose objects are in that case actually being there if that makes sense and so um, yeah. if, if it's your object that's fallen off then you need to get agreement from all of the other museums whose objects are also in that case that they're okay for you to open that case even and just go and check your object's okay um, so it's there's there's all these sorts of of issues to do with who's allowed to handle an object who's allowed to do this and that and so on so
1: if you think about it you can kind of think of so many different things that will go wrong i think that has the the responsibility is on both Mm. parties to to as you say jenny just be chill about it and say okay well i'm taking my object back i think the scratch wasn't here or i see a crack that wasn't there before let's take full photography and make sure everyone knows that this is this is a possibility that that has happened and carry on with it because there is still a deadline there is you know you can't forever stand there you know can't stand there all afternoon arguing about whether or not something is present when when basically what you need to do is look at your photographs and zoom in on a computer and that (laughs) to be honest that's that's my attitude with with condition reports is like you can write what you like but as long as you've got high-res photographs of all the sides then you know you're going to be able to tell whether something was there or not and of course I've had situations Mm, where there's not always no Oh, i know and I, I was about to say I've, there's always situations where like of course great this exact tiny spot is not visible on the photographs um and i feel like that's just sod's mm. law isn't it but then you know we're all Particularly human very large objects yeah, exactly and... yeah um but we're all human. Yeah. we can only no, I get do that i think
2: I, I think that one of the issues is that exhibitions are very high pressure situations yeah. and there is a huge amount of pressure to make sure that the exhibition goes ahead. Particularly if it's a large exhibition with a large number of lenders, then you you feel under pressure not to be that person who's ruining <laughs> it for everybody else. Okay, um, I don't think it's. And about, I think I it think is it's about quite it hard anyone. sometimes to stand your ground where you feel like you're under pressure to accept something that you don't necessarily feel comfortable with. Yeah, that's all I'm saying. I mean, yes, it's our job as conservators to make sure that our objects are okay, but sometimes you are forced to accept things that are less than ideal, but are not, strictly speaking, dangerous. Yeah. I think like you were saying, Chloe, where you might have a mount where, yeah, it's not your ideal mount, but it will probably do. The object's not in immediate danger, but, you know, ideally you would have a couple of extra restraints just to yeah. be absolutely certain. And you're not always in a position to be able to ensure that.
1: No, and I would say that I feel, I was surprised at how unbothered mm. I was to say, that's not good enough. I felt like in my, in my sort of anxiety head while i was preparing for this i thought oh i'm gonna feel really awkward or pressured to say that something's fine if it's not fine but no actually you kind of you kind of put on a different hat really don't you and say well no because the 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 potential of having a thought that you don't voice and something going wrong because you didn't voice it is just it's not worth it if the solution i mean i would say (laughs) caveat if the solution is actually Mm. really easy if it's like i need you to go away and order another load of mounts and it's going to take three weeks and the exhibition is in two days then you're i mean <laughs> there are other problems there but then there are also other solutions so so we've talked about the types of transits that you can do because you've had loads of different experiences um christina and we've all kind of been on the receiving end of loans with couriers um as so, well oh. so is this stuff like you can take a flight or you can yeah you could take a flight i mean my my registrar described it to me really really nicely do you want to be on the truck or do you not want to be on the truck like I won't be on the truck it's okay I'll fly (laughs) do you want to be on the truck with the object or not so you can do that or you can do the 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 glamorous hand carry um thing with your dark shades Christina um (laughs) so i feel like that's that's (laughs) i suppose in in
0: some countries like a a train would also be an option yeah because some some countries have trains that are a bit more like not not a good train but like they have a compartment for Uh larger objects that aren't like you know a suitcase Um, yeah
1: and i've done taxis down the road yeah um though that doesn't really seem i've walked as carrying it obviously does
2: have you (laughs) because i work in uh, I worked in a city with lots of museums in very close proximity and I have literally put things in a box and with a colleague walked round the corner (laughs) to give them to Uh, another another museum.
1: (laughs) It's with a
0: colleague. With a colleague is the important bit.
2: (laughs) Um, No, the colleague bit is very important and um, I've also escorted things in a car where there are Mm -hmm. rules about, you know, not leaving the object in the car and having two Mm. people so that one of you can go off and have a wee without leaving the object unattended and that kind of thing. Mm yeah
1: so that's different types of transit, and there's different types of financial provision as well and I think I didn't really realize this until I started this process um with the difference between expenses and per dm and what mm. that means to the museum that is that the, the I borrowing don't understand what those institution words mean. you don't no. so as a courier, particularly if
2: you're going to be doing a lengthy trip or overnights or whatever, then it's reasonable to expect that you will get your travel paid, you'll get your accommodation mm. paid. And And you will have some sort of subsistence paid. But some people ask you to keep receipts for what you've actually spent on these things and to submit them back to the borrowing Mm -hmm. institution. And they'll just fill in an expenses form and pay back your actual expenses like that yeah other places especially large museums will give you what's called a per diem which literally means per day which is a fixed allowance which you get for every day that you are involved in the courier trip so if you're there for five days then you'll get five days worth of per diem it might be 40 pounds a day something like that and that is meant to cover your subsistence while you're there it's not meant to other things like your travel to and from the institution from your home institution It's not meant to cover your accommodation but you might use this money to pay for evening meals for example or to buy a sandwich at lunchtime. So it's a lot more flexible. And usually, I think the per diems are often quite generous, way more than I would spend. And uh, one of the nice perks is that if you're prepared to eat quite frugally, (laughs) you can end up with some money left over at the end of it. And uh, have a mini shopping trip. When I was in the States, I bought myself a watch that cost the same in dollars as it would have cost in pounds in the UK, with what was left over from my five days of per diem money.
0: I bought chocolate. (laughs)
1: love it and that's not to say I didn't have much left over (laughs) Uh,
0: I know I know some some uh, venues and institutions do they feed their couriers for lunch at the very least you know so they make sure they have regular coffee breaks Mm. and snacks and then also that they give them lunch like they say we're going we're going to do the lunch run now we buy from this place what would you like or what Mm. would you definitely not like yeah Um, and then oh yes that's nice
2: I've just remembered I had a fab lunch in Manchester So we're good at lunch they even forced uh, they forced Pudding on me, um, Ooh, terrible. Some sort of Welsh rabbit thing. Oh. um Not Welsh rabbit. What's the other? Yeah, Welsh rabbit. The th- cheese thing, yeah. but with um sort of like local beer in it and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And then a nice salad. And then they forced me to have a chocolate brownie for pudding. That's Ooh.
1: torture. Yeah, what a which what I wouldn't dreadful have done life. if I've been paying for it myself.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so that was very nice. Thanks, Manchester Museum. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I will say once I did a per diem where I was there for five days, so it added up. My per diem added up to quite a lot, and they gave it to me in cash as they usually do. Mm. But it included a couple of fifty pound notes. Oh, I was yeah. like, "Oh fuck's sake! What am I going to do with a fifty pound <laughs> note?" And so we were all just trying to like find places to spend this thing and get, you know, forty five pounds change um, <laughs> from a fifty pound note because it felt like a
1: complete liability. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Uh,
2: registrars if you're listening, please can we have it in like used tenors or something? <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: Um, yeah, I was really interested with the per diem process because um, obviously they don't just like get out their wallets and hand you some cash. There's a They have, you know, proper envelopes and now you need to sign for this and kind of thing so that, you know, there's no doubt that, you know, I got there and then you lied or somebody didn't give you the right amount or something. It's possible to feel a bit awkward when it comes to like, you know, turning up to a place and saying, I'll have mm-hmm. my money now, please. But that's, you know, everyone's really kind of keen to make sure everything's correct anyway. So I didn't find any awkward with that, awkwardness with that at all
2: um so i was thinking about you know what are the good things about courier trips and the bad things so do you want to chip in with any of those i was thinking you said um chloe about the one of the nice things being that you get to talk to people from museums all over the oh that all was over so
1: nice yeah i think i didn't yeah as i said in my in my little travel blog i just didn't think about it. i think i was just thinking too much about you know getting there with the object and making sure everything was safe and stuff i didn't think it's actually just so nice to chat with other people doing the same job somewhere else never met them before but you know you, know, you already know each other because you're doing the same job and you're on the same page so that was really really nice so building relationships is really nice and making friends basically but then I'm quite a chatty person anyway and I can anyway and mm. I can imagine that there are you know <laughs> I can imagine that there are there are conservators listening to this thinking like chatting with strangers is my absolute nightmare <laughs> um I don't want to do it ever what do you mean I've got to do it for work oh, yeah. <laughs> so I mean and, and I don't I don't think that we should um you know, in a foreign language yeah exactly i don't think we should make those people people feel bad about themselves because i absolutely understand where you're coming from if that is how you feel but as a chatty person as a as a kind of gregarious person i really really enjoyed it any other good things generally travelling I thought it was great seeing other seeing how other mm. institutions do things I think it was a really nice time to visit Brussels anyway yeah that's my, my two main things the other things that I found quite frustrating is you don't get to see the exhibition
2: you're there beforehand and by the time unless you are literally the very last courier it will still all be going on by the time you finished doing your objects and you then have to go home and luckily with this one because it was only in London and it's only a couple of hours away by train from where I live then I was able to pop down for the day and see it and even more luckily they gave me a complimentary ticket because I didn't feel like paying £15 to go and see my own exhibition but that can be one of the quite frustrating things is that you don't always get to see these things in their final finished form, uh, which I think is a shame. Yeah,
1: I hadn't thought of it like that. Actually, I suppose did you I, not. Well, I hadn't really thought about it until you said that, and now I thought, oh, oh I guess it would have been really nice. I was, I did follow them on the, uh, Instagram, and I did see like the opening night in all the interviews with the the curators that I met, and it was like. Oh, mm. yeah, that's really... Yeah, I wish I'd been there and and seen them and it would have been really nice because you're quite invested, aren't you? Because you go to these mm. places and you talk to people about the work that mm. they're doing and when I mean, you see the exhibition, it's all exciting and then you just don't get to go.
0: Do conservators ever get to go? I don't feel like we do. <laughs>
1: It's part of that do you get thanked thing, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> Literally never. <laughs> I
2: suppose there's an extension to that, you also don't always get to see the city you're in and that can also be quite frustrating if you're going somewhere really fun. I mean, it sounds like you did actually get a bit of a chance to do some sightseeing in Brussels, Chloe, but certainly on the last courier trip I went on, we were there eight o'clock in the morning till 4.30 yeah. in the afternoon.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I, I, no, I, I feel like I feel like it's it's true that if you do get to go somewhere as a conservator as part of your job people go oh you're going there are you going to go to all these things well no I'm working between yeah. nine and five at least yeah. usually eight and six really if it's like mm. an exhibition installation then mm. no I'm um, I'm not going to do any of that and then afterwards I will be so tired that I will I don't know eat any reduced sandwich from Tesco and crawl <laughs> into bed because then I'm back <laughs> up again at like six
1: they're like no <laughs>
0: I'm,
1: it's not a pleasure trip." that is that something to be said actually in pre-planning isn't it that if, if you do have the the option to communicate with the lender and say, right, all right. If you're booking your flights, it won't cost the inst- the borrowing institution any more necessarily if you book a. A plane one day or two days additional, as long as you pay or agree to pay your additional hotel, then I think mm. I don't think it's that uncommon for for institutions, um, to say, okay, well, will this person will pay for their own hotel so they can get to enjoy the city? And the thing with that is, well, I we didn't do that with mine, but we did. My my registrar was really good in requesting a contingency day and just saying like this: if something goes wrong, then you're going to need an extra day. And I think the So of course that's that's a luxury that can be afforded only by you know places that are well funded if you can do it that's really valuable because that just removes all the stress like maybe that's I hadn't thought about it but maybe that's one of the reasons why I just I wasn't really concerned when when I didn't like the mount because I thought well you know we'll try it if it doesn't work I'll come back tomorrow they can go and make something and and I'll come back tomorrow and we'll try again Mm. so I do think that's one of the things if possible if you can build it in is really important. So we did ask people on Twitter Twitter to
0: send us some of their experiences of couriering and you know what kind of stuff it was so we had a couple of responses, Sue says "Yeah, millions of pounds worth of 19th century paintings, including Monet's, Turner's etc to name drop a few, in Japan half the length of the country exciting and daunting, whole new culture and safeguarding paintings against earthquakes and tsunamis with North Korea firing missiles 25 years of couriering social history collections of furniture throughout else could not prepare me <laughs> but the Japanese team was amazing uh, so that, wow. sounds, that sounds like a roller coaster someone just writes in all caps anxiety inducing <laughs> so I feel like I, we feel you. Helena says, Accompanied a massive crate across the Atlantic. Wonderful team with sidearms. Retrieved crate from amidst tanks of lobsters and hoarders. Uh, both to a monitored truck to the museum. Many thanks to the professional Constantine crew. Contents of crates included pots and beads. Anushka says, Only in Europe. Uh, only one negative experience on the return. We met the crate back in the UK and unpacked at the museum. Only to find the crate had clearly been dropped in transit. <gasps> causing damage to the object oh, many phone calls to resolve and my stress levels were through the roof well that sounds traumatic um,
1: at least though it's obviously a mistake with transit like it's not like yes all oh, the true. the borrowing institution made some mistakes it's like that's very obvious whose fault it is yes that's and true. while it's not great to you know pin the blame it's also really valuable to pin the blame <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes then all insurance claims i'm sure yeah
1: exactly
0: uh, anna says currently en route to pick up a fossil for my thesis research a little over 15 hours one way so plenty of time for the excitement to build and uh, she includes a map of where she's going in america That is an
1: amazing map and that that sounds intense good luck anna we just don't think about spatial travel in that way <laughs> yeah, in no. this country
0: do you <laughs> no no not really uh and paolo says i brought back a
1: couple of Blaschka, uh
0: glass models from corning museum a couple of years ago uh, and he blogged about it as well so we'll bung a link into that Sounded glamorous with international business class flights, private planes and limos, but the reality was exhausting and stressful.
1: Those, oh. those models fill me with dread. There's a photograph mm. of it and it just makes me feel... Yeah, if you just no, think of like a million no, glass needles. No. It's just like... Woo. Not even glass needles, glass hairs. Yeah. Glass hairs. What?
0: How do you... How? <laughs> <laughs> Ugh. So Yeah. Great stories. Keep sharing on Twitter. We would love to hear your traumatizing and or, yes, fun, please. or fun experiences of couriering. Good talk, guys.
3: Dear Jay, I'm a collections technician early museum professional in the US. I love working with collections, but I find my interest being drawn more and more towards the books and paper parts of my collection. I have been considering going to school for paper conservation, but I currently have no training in conservation of any kind. I know I would need organic chemistry and have enrolled in a free online course to see if it's something I can handle. I took bio in school. Do you have any suggestions for resources on getting started in the field? What should I start? study to get started. Is the paper conservation field in the same state as the object's conservation, as in not much money, with more than enough conservators? Is it worth a full degree, or would basic training added to my collection's background be better served? Thanks for any suggestions. Gwen. Dear Gwen, thank you so much for your inquiry to the C word. When I was reading in, something jumped into my mind, and that was the Professional Standards for ICON, the Institute of Conservation in the UK. And it says within your professional judgment and ethics that you have to understand the limits of your own understanding and abilities and practice within them. As I read your question, I thought, this is something that goes beyond my limits and my ability to answer your question. But never feel, we have a huge network of aunts and uncles in the conservation sector already and able to help the C-word listener. So, this Dear Jane is dedicated to Dear Fletcher. He also believes that this is a very good question and a very interesting time for pre program conservators in the US who are interested in book and paper conservation. Fletcher thinks that the first question for the listener is whether they're interested in libraries and archives conservation, fine art paper conservation. Because if it's fine art paper conservation, then one of the fine art grad programmes such as NYU, Winterthur or Buffalo are the primary means to get into the field. Apprenticeship or on-the-job training is still possible, but it's very slow and underpaid. However, if your interest is more towards books and archives, then NYU, Winterthur and Buffalo are still the strongest way to get credentialed. The Mellon Foundation has continued to support these three programmes as they try to replace the University of Texas programme that closed in 2012. But there are other avenues for book training that don't require the same kind of prerequisites in chemistry, studio art and art history. The North Bennett Street School in Boston is a trade school that offers training in bookminding and students can focus on conservation. West Dean from the UK graduates are finding success in getting hired by U.S. employers. University of Alabama and University of Iowa both have bookbinding MFAs, which feed the occasional graduate into conservation jobs. On-the-job training is also a possibility, but again, it's a commitment to lower paid positions for some period of time. In general, Fletcher would say that the job market for book conservators has bounced back in the past several years. The jobs are not high-paying, but at institutions they certainly offer reasonable pay and Fletcher thinks higher than in the UK. There are jobs across the country, and so if you want to be a conservator, unless you're going into private practice, then you need to be open to work anywhere. So, where to get started? Find local or not-so-local classes on book binding. Many cities have a centre for the book that teaches classes, or local book binders. Also, getting some experience in a book conservation lab, whether as a volunteer or a paid position, will definitely help to build a resume, an application, and help you decide if this is a career to pursue. For classes, he cannot recommend local community colleges enough. They have a great, affordable way to knock out all of the prerequisite classes, whether organic chemistry, studio arts, or art history. So, Fletcher says there are certainly ways to go about developing a resume outside of a formal graduate program and secure a position in the field. But he thinks it will become increasingly difficult for you to do without formal training. As a, risk, a bit of a backlog of recent programme-trained conservators. So I think really that leaves you there, Gwen, with the advice that we can give you. There may be other ways, but we're really sort of focusing in on the training course as the main route into the sector. So I hope that that's been helpful, and I hope that um, you would make the decision to go with that. Thanks very much to our international network of agony aunts and uncles. Over and out. If you're enjoying The C-Word and would like to
0: support our work, then please consider becoming one of our patrons. For as little as $1 per month, you can help us keep our episodes online and more of them coming. Patreon helps us meet our regular costs for the show, and also to plan ahead so we know roughly how much of a monthly budget we've got. That's super helpful when you're trying to do something special like buy a better microphone or save up to go to a special event. Your support also helps keep us free of advertisements. In return, our supporters get access to our archive of extended episodes, which you can only access on our Patreon page. Yeah, for that $1 a month, you get a little extra audio enjoyment. We've crushed the numbers, and it's about 10% extra content on a regular basis. Well, That's not bad for less than a cup of coffee, eh? If supporting us sounds like something you'd like to do, then head over to patreon.com slash the C word and join our bunch of absolute champions. Patreon shout out. Welcome to our latest patrons, Stephanie and Robert. Thanks so much for joining us, guys. And now for some questions, comments and corrections. Uh, We've had two people write in, Elizabeth. Elizabeth says, hello, ladies. I'm making my way through your episodes and had to stop and write in after listening to season two, episode six on Replicas. I'm an archivist in Toronto, Canada, and though every institution is different, digitizing to be able to deaccession is not always a great idea. Many institutions back in the day put all the newspapers on microfilm, trying to cut down on storage space and as a means to ensure the longevity of the information. Microfilm can be a great replica for accessibility and conservation reasons, as you mentioned. Uh, The problem now is that the original is gone if the institution has deaccessioned it. This means that more copies are limited since you can only print so many of the master. As well, many microfilms were done cheaply and the image quality isn't that great. Now, institutions may want to digitize their collection to allow better access online, but the microfilm quality just won't cut it. In archives, copies are also a great thing in case of fire, flood, digital decay, for example. Digitization of archives is great, but not as a way of saving space. Just like microfilm, digital copies also have preservation issues, including digital decay, playback and problems uh, regarding the server they are stored on. Right now, the only real agreement in the archival community where digitization is seen as the best way to preserve information is magnetic tapes, beta cam, VHS, etc. I think the estimated lifespan of the object is 60 years, maybe a bit longer in good RH and temperature. There was a big kerfuffle here in Canada when our national broadcaster started digitizing to cut back on space. And she post links to a couple of interesting articles that we'll post links to in the show notes. I'm really enjoying your podcast. Oh, thanks. And look forward to catching up on the latest episodes. Always loved conservation and secretly would love to make it uh, make the career switch from archivist to paper conservator. Do it. Uh, I find your podcast really insightful, knowledgeable, easy to listen to. And many of the topics I find useful for archives as well. Oh, thanks very much. Thanks. Um, yeah. So just, just to be clear, it's not like we were saying that digitizing anything was actually a solution uh, as conservation goes, I think digitization is a great extra thing to be doing, but I don't think it's a good idea to then get rid of the original.
1: Because though you've got the hard copy, we know that hard copies will last hundreds of years, whereas the digital future is completely unknown.
0: Yeah, so I mean, ideally, do both digitize and keep the original. I, I think that's the way to go, really, because I think we were saying that we saw a slight difference in like uh, paper ephemera versus well, not even ephemera, paper-based things, uh, versus like 3D objects where a scan of an object would never replace the object. But you're right, you you shouldn't also deaccession the paper item and then get rid of that. Um, That's not a solution either. Like, really, we should just accept that. Archives, just as museum collections, require space, and that's just a thing. It requires physical space and maintenance, same as everything else. So, yeah. Uh, thanks so much for writing in, Elizabeth. Uh, it was great hearing Thank from you. you. Always good to hear from an archivist. Uh, We've also had an email from David saying uh, you might be interested in addressing the invisibility of conservators in the credits listed on acknowledgement boards at the end of
1: of temporary exhibitions. Oh, man. (laughs) Uh,
3: This is something
0: that's irked me for years. All external people, designers, consultants, etc., get acknowledged, plus all internal curators. But the best that conservators get is to be lumped into museum resources, even when conservators may have played a major role in making the exhibition possible. You are so right, David. And uh, this is something that we have... Briefly mentioned before, yeah. Just because we were we were acknowledging that we're often missing from acknowledgement boards, mm-hmm. Um and I think the consensus was very much in the team: acknowledge your conservators. Goddammit, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, if if you're making a list of the people who are vital to the exhibition, please do include conservators. I've been included on occasion, so I feel like I,
1: I think I have on one occasion. People aren't necessarily even very
0: consistent with when you get an acknowledgement board, or like you know. Because I'm thinking, sometimes we do, sometimes we don't. Yeah. More often we don't. I feel like it's only if something exceptional has happened. Like I don't know, like a business has really gone out of their way to do something, <laughs> and then it's like, oh, so we need to acknowledge them. Maybe we should also acknowledge some other people yeah. who've been involved. And then I think it actually goes down to team level, not really mm. people level. I've I've ha- I've had a credit. Like in something I've freelanced in, mm-hmm. which is really nice. Yeah, yeah, you know. So sometimes people do kind of go out of their way and and do put a conservator on. Might not say that I am a conservator, but my name was on there. Yeah, woo! which You know, I, I'll take that. Yeah, <laughs> I will take yeah, that. Same, yeah, yeah. And I'll parade it around. Yeah. <laughs> um, but no, it's a good point that conservators do need to be on these. When when these things exist, we should be on mm-hmm. them. Like, that's fairly obvious to me, and I really hope we can keep making it obvious to our colleagues that we we would like thanks as much Mm -hmm. as anyone
1: really to express the value of conservation in public events that are fairly central to the way that museums run yeah and frankly the way that museums are funded yeah so
0: yes absolutely david we should be on these boards thumbs up yeah we'll we'll just continue banging on about it every now and then and (laughs) hopefully at some point it will stick thanks very much david Thanks for listening. We're The Seaward and you've been listening to Chloe Ramsey, Christina Rosaic, and me, Jenny Mathiason. Join us next time for an episode about contemporary art. In the meantime, check out our website at theseaward.show tweet us at theseawardpodcast or simply email us on theseawardpodcast at gmail.com The intro and outro music is Spring by Didi Music, used under a Creative Commons attribution license. Additional music and sound effects by Callum Robertson. This has been a Wooden Dice production.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Do I press stop now? Yes.